0: Hi, and welcome to the Law Notes episode of the Legal LGBT Podcast. I'm Eric Lesh, Executive Director of Legal, the LGBT Bar of New York. On this episode, we are here to discuss a rare bit of good news from the Supreme Court in a trans rights case that we've been tracking for some time. Then we're going to talk about a religiously affiliated children's agency and their failed attempt to run away same-sex couples seeking to adopt. Then we'll chat about a series of cases that deal with same-sex spouses and their equal access to benefits. And with us is New York Law School professor Art Leonard. Art is chief editor and author of Law Notes, the most comprehensive monthly publication covering the latest LGBT legal developments here and abroad. Happy Pride, Art. Happy Pride. How Art. are you? Great. Aren't you excited to give some good news for a change? I think this podcast is almost entirely, almost entirely, almost entirely good, news. good News. Yeah. Um, so before we dig in uh, to the first case, I did want to recognize it's LGBT pride, and we had some really great news on the policy front, and we include this in law notes as well. That on May seventeenth, the House of Representatives overwhelmingly passed the Equality Act, um, which was historic. It's a huge, it's a huge accomplishment, and we just need. A Senate now and a president who will sign it into
1: law. But Right. And although the Equality Act has been introduced in Congress numerous times, starting in the Obama administration as a successor to the former Employment Non-Discrimination Act, right. uh, the Equality Act is the most broad-ranging LGBT rights bill ever introduced in Congress. Right. It intends to extend anti-discrimination protection, not just for the usual employment and housing and public accommodations, mm-hmm. but to any federal statute that forbids discrimination, wow. it, it seeks to add sexual orientation and gender identity right. to the list of characteristics that That's are That's huge. So this is huge, and this is the first time it's passed Congress. The uh, first time
0: it got a vote on the floor,
1: right, too. The Employment Non-Discrimination Act passed the Senate during got, uh, Obama's first term, but it didn't come up in the House. And uh, a prior version of it, which was narrower because it didn't cover gender identity, passed the House in the last of George, H- uh, George W. Bush's term, hmm. but didn't come up in the Senate. Right. And then uh, the original version of the Employment Non-Discrimination Act failed passage in the Senate by one vote wow. during the Clinton administration yeah. uh, at the same time that they were passing the Defense of Marriage Act. Jeez. What a history. And uh, yeah,
0: depending on what happens at the Supreme Court, regardless, we need this bill. But Mm -hmm. it could be even more urgent. So let's go to the Supreme Court. On May 28th, the Supreme Court announced that they're not going to hear a challenge to Boyertown Area School District's policy allowing transgender students to use bathrooms and locker rooms that match their gender identities. Um, The decision leaves unchanged a good ruling from the Third Circuit Um, and the school is actually on the right side of history in this they celebrated the decision saying creating a place where everyone feels welcome will require an open and honest discussion about difference where everyone has a voice and institutional respect for people of all backgrounds and abilities it is a big win for trans students it's a loss for ADF which we always love who is representing a group of students who claimed that the policy violated their privacy rights so this seems like a great way to kick off a Pride podcast. Yeah, this is, this
1: is a good one. Uh, and uh, anytime ADF loses in a gay rights case is cause for fireworks. Yeah. Celebration, brass bands. You and know.
0: when the Supreme Court poops right.
1: them. Right, right. Although I think it's it's partly, and I speculate at the end of the article, that it's partly because they agreed to take another ADF case that's right. going to put... Uh, Uh, sex, uh, gender identity coverage in question. Right. So, uh, in this case, of course, what this really stems from is another lawsuit which we talked a lot about in the past, the Gavin Grimm case. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because uh, Gavin Grimm, who was a trans guy uh, at Gloucester High School, and uh, was litigating uh, against the school district to be able to use the boys' room, and his uh, counsel decided to try to enlist the Obama administration on their side. And they were able to do that. They got a letter out of the Department of Education to file with the judge saying they interpreted Title IX to require, uh, to allow uh, Gavin Grimm to use the boys room. Mm -hmm. And in the course of the early stages of that litigation, the Education Department sent a so-called Dear Colleague letter out to every school district in the United States explaining to them that Title IX required them to allow transgender students to have access. So one of the districts that obviously responded because uh, you know, uh, a, a school district like Boratown wasn't just gonna sue a to adopt this policy, mm-hmm. they got the Dear Colleague letter. Okay, Okay, so they adopt the policy. Right. And uh, according to uh, the court's opinion, uh, one incident that may have led to the filing of this lawsuit, so uh, Some students, uh, represented by ADF, filed this lawsuit, and they had several claims. Uh, They claimed that this violated their right to privacy under the Due Process Clause. Uh, They claimed that uh, this created a hostile environment in violation of Title IX. So this was an attempt to weaponize Title IX against transgender students by saying that this created a hospital environment for <laughs> cisgender students, that they might encounter transgender students in the restroom. Right? And then they also threw in a supplementary state law claim under Pennsylvania tort law saying it was an intrusion upon seclusion. Okay. Well, you don't have a lot of seclusion in a multi-user restroom in a school. <laughs> so, uh, and, and it's important to know what the district did in terms of implementing the policy. First of all, they did some renovations, some alterations in their restrooms to enhance the privacy of users. Second, they established two single-user, gender-neutral restrooms that any student could use. Mm-hmm. And third, they said for transgender students to be allowed to use the restroom consistent with their gender identity, they had to go to a school counselor, declare themselves as transgender. Uh, they, they, there would be a little inquiry into the bona fides of this. And once they were specifically authorized to be able to use the restroom consistent with their gender identity, they couldn't go back and use the restroom consistent with their birth certificate. Right, which is one of those canards that they put out of. In other words, this isn't one of those things where some guy who wants to get into the girls' room says, I'm gay today, or I'm trans today, and I can go in that restroom. You had to be authorized. Uh, And the court uh, emphasized this in the opinion that that this was taking reasonable steps to accommodate both transgender and cisgender students Mm with equal access to facilities and what title IX requires is equal access to educational facilities mm-hmm. uh, so the court pointed out uh... and uh... looking to court of appeals precedent they looked to the seventh circuit in the ash whitaker case which we've also talked about in the past where the seventh circuit said that a school district violated title IX by not giving access to the appropriate restroom to a transgender student uh, so, in this case, uh, ADF files the complaint. They asked the District Judge Edward Smith at the Eastern District of Pennsylvania for a preliminary injunction. He denies. They appeal. So, this was an appeal from a denial of a preliminary injunction. Okay. Uh, and that may be another reason the Supreme Court wasn't interested. It's, it's uh, you know, an interlocutory appeal uh, at an early point in the litigation before there's even been a decision on the merits. Okay. Although, of course, uh, any attempt to get this case dismissed was going to fail to mm-hmm. uh so uh the appeal went to the third circuit from adf and the third circuit just totally squashed mm-hmm. the plaintiffs in this case they said you know the district judge correctly refused a preliminary injunction correctly concluded that adf was not likely to prevail on any of its theories of the case mm-hmm. uh and basically Uh, I mean, it's a a great decision by uh, a judge appointed by uh, President Obama, Judge McKee of the Third Circuit. It quotes very nicely from Amicus Rees filed in the case about uh, the difficulties of transgender students Mm -hmm. and how uh, there are specific psychological harms if they are not allowed access to the appropriate restroom. Uh, it's it's like a dream opinion.
0: It really so. is. I'm going to just pull out some of the things that you highlighted in law notes. Number one, you had talked about how uh, it empathizes with cis students who you know experience some surprise at uh, finding themselves in an intimate space with a student they understood was of the opposite biological sex. However, that pales in comparison. Um, the court said, we cannot, however, equate that situation with that the appellants now face with the very drastic consequence that transgender students must endure if the student were to ignore the latter's needs and concerns. And then they go on with the... Um, the privacy case law that the plaintiffs bring up where they, you know, the court says it rejects analogies to cases involving inappropriate strip so- searches and peeping toms. Yeah, they said a transgender student using the appropriate restroom is not doing anything wrong. Right, there's this nothing inappropriate about trans students using right. the restrooms and locker rooms corresponding with their gender identity. Yeah.
1: It's just a really great opinion. Yeah. Now, it's a three-judge panel consisting of Democratic appointees, and the <laughs> Third Circuit's complexion and qu- is changing. I mean, this opinion is <laughs> from over, over a year ago. Okay. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens with the Third Circuit. Uh, this this is one of the issues that we have to keep track of. That uh, Trump and McConnell have been loading up the circuit courts right. with ultra right wing judges. Uh, I, I saw one article discussing this this week that particularly noted Judge Ho in the Fifth Circuit. We've who talked was already, about him before. He slammed us twice already. Right. Uh, so. Uh, and the Ninth Circuit, I was I was shocked because I checked when. Uh because uh, we're going to be talking about a Ninth Circuit case later on yeah. to see how Trump's doing in the Ninth Circuit. He's got six judges on the Ninth Circuit already in two and a half. Well, years. see,
0: it used to be that the home state senators could hold up anybody they no. wanted, so we never got anybody out of the Ninth Circuit that was we awful. Had two
1: Democratic home, right?
0: Senators. Feinstein wasn't going to let anybody right. in California, and now it's uh, they don't care. Kamala Harris, yeah, they yeah. just run roughshod over the right. objections and put it whoever we want. So, some scary things happening on the district courts. Is there anything, any relationship you mentioned a little? little bit about this case to the case that's happening at the Supreme Court on Title VII. How might that affect well, this
1: one? This case didn't present directly the issue of whether Title IX covers gender identity discrimination, because the Title IX issue in this case was whether it creates a hostile environment for cisgender students to allow transgender students to use the restroom. Right. Uh, so uh, obviously, when the court decides the Harris Funeral Home case, that will have implications for Title IX because courts in Title IX cases look to Title VII cases. Right. Case law. Harris, Harris Funeral Homes is Title yeah. VII case. That's, that's a Title VII right. case. Uh, but it's almost interchangeable. Uh, and uh, also under the Affordable Care Act, uh, in the regulations, they analogize to Title Seven and to Title Nine mm-hmm. when talking about the sex discrimination provisions in the Affordable Care Act concerning insurance coverage. Which is also under attack from Trump. Right.
0: All right. Let's take a short break and when we come back we'll have our segment about adoption agencies. All right, so we're back. A Christian adoption agency is suing the state of New York for the right to discriminate against same-sex couples. New Hope Family Services and their lawyers from the anti-LGBT hate group ADF filed a lawsuit claiming that the New York Office for Children and Family Services was infringing on New Hope's religious freedom by requiring it to serve all families equally. The complaint asks a judge to enjoin the agency's non discrimination policy and declare it unconstitutional. So this is some more good news, as we mentioned, um, which is increasingly rare on this broadcast, it seems. Um, And so uh, the court rejected the kitchen sink of constitutional claims uh, advanced by ADF about the right to discriminate. Tell us about this case in our backyard uh, art.
1: Now, now this one one comes up out of New York state policy and Mm -hmm. attempts to uniformly enforce New York state policy. Uh, As we know... uh, We have marriage equality in New York since 2011. And even before then, in 2010, the legislature had amended the domestic relations law to provide that authorized agencies could place children for adoption with uh, an adult unmarried person, an adult married couple, or any two unmarried adult intimate partners Mm -hmm. together. So they had already extended. And uh, then of course we got marriage equality. And then we subsequently, in two thousand thirteen we got new regulations out of uh, o c f s The adoption regulations were amended to prohibit outright any discrimination against applicants for adoption services on the basis of race, creed, color, national origin, age, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, or expression, marital status, religion, or disability great, so you know the whole panoply yeah, and uh Why wasn't there a case earlier here? It's evidently no one filed a complaint against this agency. Hmm. Uh, And maybe people, maybe gay couples who were looking to adopt knew better than to apply to a Christian agency in the first place. But what happened here was in 2018, the agency decided to undertake affirmatively to investigate all authorized agencies to determine that their policies were in when line compliance. with state law, oh. so they contact OFCS, or rather OFCS contacts New Hope, New. and mm-hmm. says to New Hope, "We're scheduling you for, uh, you know, a, a review and inspection, and please send us a copy of your written policies, <laughs> and the written policies." Uh, had a uh, a statement that they don't place people with same-sex couples, mm-hmm. even if they're married. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, the people at OFCS read this and they said this is out of line. Uh, and so they, there ensued uh, emails and phone calls back and forth between the agencies saying, "Come on, you know, get in line, get rid of this policy." And uh, OFCS stood firm, and finally they got a threat. To uh, the agency, the threat to the agency was: if you don't change this policy, you're choosing to close. Mm-hmm. And so the agency got in touch with ADF, and ADF filed this lawsuit, and they're seeking preliminary injunction. Uh, and Judge May D'Agostino of uh, the Northern District of New York, up in Albany, uh, says no, nothing doing. This is a state law. A neutral state law that doesn't target religion of general application under Employment Division versus Smith, our favorite case. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It's hard. We to talk say. about
0: that every episode, it, don't these we? Days, it's
1: a Scalia decision. <laughs> and, you know, it's no. the one time that gay people agree with Scalia. Uh, uh, so uh, the uh, the judge says, "Look, you know, it's under the law. It's neutral." And and uh, so ADF has been trying to weaponize the masterpiece cake shop case by yelling hostility to religion every time they encounter this yeah. kind of argument. And uh, what was, by a nice coincidence, a decision which I believe we discussed last month, the, yeah, uh, the-, the Third Circuit decision in Philadelphia, right? Uh, that had just been decided by the Third Circuit. So uh, Judge D'Agostino said, look, and that's virtually that. the same thing. Yeah, uh, She said, uh, the Third Circuit said, that if enforcement of a neutral law of general applicability against a religious defendant uh, is an example of hostility, then Employment Division versus Smith is a dead letter. Mm-hmm. And the anti-discrimination law, when it comes to uh, an agency that contracted with the government to provide a governmental service, is also a dead letter. Mm-hmm. And we're not going to go for that. Now, they also said, here's, here's part of the problem. Part of what they have to do by contract with the government as an authorized agency is to certify people as eligible. Mm. And they said, so this is compelled speech. You're compelling us to certify as eligible same-sex couples who we believe should not be eligible. Mm. And... Uh, the response was, no, when you're speaking to certify someone, you're not speaking for yourself. You're speaking for the government under contract to provide a public service consistent with the law. Mm-hmm. It's governmental speech, right? and the government has a right to dictate wow. governmental speech. Yeah, uh, It's just like cases involving public employees when they're speaking in the course of their employment. It's not their personal speech. They're speaking for the government. Therefore, they don't have a right to say whatever they want. Yeah, They have to toe the line to what the government wants them to say or else they should quit or just not say anything.
0: Will you talk about the – you mentioned um, that New Hope claims, um, you know, that this
1: case is controlled by Boy Scouts of America versus Dale. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, Dale – was uh, a decision by the Supreme Court that the Boy Scouts of America is an intimate association under the First Amendment, yeah. and they have a right not to have a gay scoutmaster. They don't want one. That's different, That's uh, it's, it's not an employee. I guess scoutmasters aren't employees because they're volunteers, they're not paid. But it's sort of like an employment case, and this isn't that. Mm-hmm. This is a case where a religious agency has a contract with the government to perform a governmental function. To all delegated New Yorkers, to them, yeah. And it applies to all New Yorkers. Yeah. So this is not like the Boy Scouts at all.
0: Yeah. Uh, really good opinion. Glad to see that um, they followed the Third Circuit, and I'm assuming this is going to go to the Second Circuit? Uh, most likely.
1: I think uh, New Hope. Unless they want to collapse now and give in, uh, they're going to lose their uh, authorized agency status. And this is what they do. You know, the agency was started All basically right. to, uh, to do the adoptions. Get it together, New Hope. So, All
0: right. Well, let's take a, a break and then we'll come back with a, a duo of cases um, on survivor benefits. And we're back. On May 16th, the Ninth Circuit reversed a bad lower court ruling by holding that a radio station abused its discretion by um, denying spousal surviving be- survivor benefits to the surviving spouse of a same-sex couple, even though he was the registered domestic partner of a former employee. The decision recognizes the important protections afforded to registered domestic partners in many states who were unconstitutionally denied the right to civil marriage. Next, we're going to talk about another case out of Texas where a federal judge issued a ruling that was at least a bit of a win for a same-sex partner's claim to benefits under the life insurance policy
1: of his late partner. Art, tell us about this. Um, let's start yeah, with the Ninth are, Circuit case. These are interesting. Uh, the thing in the Ninth Circuit case is that at the time that the employee died, they were married. Because they got married five days before he died. Okay. Uh, and uh, whether they got married in anticipation of this problem, I'm not sure. But uh, the situation in this case, Reed against K R O N Local 45 Pension Plan, uh, and this is an ERISA case, uh, that Donald Gardner worked for the television station for many years. In 1998, he began a committed long-term relationship with David Reed, And in 2004, Gardner and Reed registered as domestic partners under California law. Gardner retires on April 1, 2009, and began receiving pension benefits under the plan. In June 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court, dismissing the appeal in the Hollingsworth case, gave the green light to California to resume allowing same-sex couples to marry. Mm -hmm. Uh, But these men didn't marry right away, they married the following year five days before Gardner passed away. Uh, And uh, the court's opinion doesn't go into any details about the circumstances of the marriage other than that. But when Gardner passed away, pension payments stopped. Mm. And Reed made a claim for a survivor spousal benefit, you know, the continuation of pensions for a surviving widower in this case. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it doesn't turn on the marriage status. The case really turns on the domestic partnership status. Now, now, uh, and in order to really understand the case, you have to look at the district court's opinion because the court of appeals doesn't give you all the facts. Mm. So uh, District Judge Jeffrey White, uh, Gardner retired in 2009 and selected a single-life annuity pension benefit. Okay. In other words, at the time he retired, he did not select the spousal benefit where he would get a half pension and then after he died his surviving spouse would continue to get the half pension for the remainder of the spouse's life. Uh, What uh, Reed is alleging in this case is that the human resources department at KRON did not mention the availability of a joint and survivor form of benefit despite being aware that these men were domestic partners because they assumed that they had to be married for that Mm. because under ERISA the federal government didn't recognize the domestic partnership. In fact, even after Obergefell, the federal government doesn't recognize domestic partnerships. Mm -hmm. as the same as marriage. But the interesting twist in this case is that the employee benefit plan itself provided that California law would be used to interpret it to the extent that they didn't conflict with the risk. Okay. So, you know, it's, it's a rather complicated case. And you went back down to the lower court I went down to the, the lower court to find out what was going on always here. count on art. Uh, so, uh, so, you know, they said uh, at the time of the death, uh, he, he wanted the surviving spouse, but the employee didn't select that, you know? We paid out a full pension benefit to the employee, and we would—it would have been a reduced benefit if he was also going to be getting the spousal extension. Yeah. Uh, so they refused. They said we have—we have, we have uh, always treated domestic partnerships as not being marriages under this plan. And uh, so he was turned down by the committee that administers the plan. Now the committee, of course, is a fiduciary under ERISA, which is supposed to uh, interpret and apply the plan according to its terms, in the interests of the beneficiaries. Uh, but because the committee was given discretion under the plan to interpret and apply it, the standard of review is abusive discretion. So the issue here is whether they abused their discretion by turning down uh, Mr. Reed when he asked for the surviving spouse benefit. And Judge White said no, they didn't. That's the, the trial judge, because as far as they could see, this was the correct way to go Uh, because the men weren't married at the time that uh, Mr. Gardner retired. The Ninth Circuit panel reversed, finding an abuse of discretion because they said the plant says the California law governs, and under California's domestic partnership law as of 2009— which is when the retirement took place. It would have covered that. It would have. They California's domestic partnership of law said that domestic partners should be treated as spouses for purposes of the law. And spouse is the term that's used yeah. in the plan. And so he was a spouse. So the
0: committee screwed it up.
1: Yeah, yeah. What it means is that he should have been told, Gardner should have been told, that you can elect right. to do this. Yeah. And Reed is not to suffer because of what Gardner did do, because uh he was not told by the human resources people what his option was yeah. and in fact the form he was given to fill out said that the uh the spousal benefit thing was only available to those who were married mm. so the fact that they got married five days before really has no bearing it's not on relevant, this case not relevant to this case uh so it's, it's really sort of neat but uh so they have to go back and they have to pay him But what they have to pay him is the next thing to be decided because, after all, Gardner got the full benefit, not the half benefit that he would have gotten. Mm -hmm. So they've got to figure out on the money. The committee should have
0: gotten it right the first time. All right, but what about Texas? What about Texas? Well, Texas. (laughs)
1: What's going on in Texas? Texas. This is May 21st. Uh, This is a district court decision by District Judge Jane J. Boyle of the Northern District of Texas. This one was confusing, Art. This this is confusing. Now, what happened is— Are you going to be able to simplify this for I'm going to try. I'm going to (laughs) try. Rodney Ford and David Friedman. They lived together as same sex partners. All right. Freeman worked for MBNA Bank. Okay. MBNA Bank provided life insurance as an employee benefit. In nineteen ninety six, Freeman completed a beneficiary designation form designating Ford as his one hundred percent beneficiary under the policy. Mm-hmm. And Freeman continued working actively for MBNA until two thousand five when he left on long term disability. From 2005 until Freeman died in October 2016, more than a decade later, wow. Ford alleges that MBNA and Bank of America, which bought MBNA and which succeeded to its obligations to retirees of MBNA, uh, and Prudential, which was the issuer of the life insurance policy, periodically sent notices to David Freeman confirming his insured status and that Ford was his beneficiary on the policy. Uh, this is what Ford is alleging. These are all allegations. However, Ford claims that sometime before Freeman died, he cleaned out his desk and all the documents are gone. Okay. okay. Now, there's another thing to note, and that's the date of Freeman's death October 2016, which means that these guys had a year and a half to get married after Obergefell, and they didn't. Okay. And this is Texas, so we don't have any domestic partnership either. Right. All right. So they have no legal relationship to each other unless they were in a common law marriage, which Texas has common law marriage. Mm. All right. So uh, Freeman dies, the value of the life insurance policy at that point is like over seven hundred thousand dollars. Wow. And Prudential says to him, Well, we don't have any beneficiary designation. You should get in touch with Bank of America. So he contacts Bank of America and he gets a human resources representative who says, you know, evidently pulls his employment records and says, well, I see your name. That is Ford's name was somewhere in those records, but I cannot certify that the beneficiary designation applied to this insurance policy. Okay. So Ford then gets back in touch with Prudential. He says, what am I going to do? Without a beneficiary form, even though I remember that it was filled out, I don't have a copy, and they claim they don't have a copy, what happens? So Prudential says, well, under the insurance policy, when the employee dies, if there isn't a surviving spouse, it goes to his heirs, in this case his father, because he didn't have any kids. Wow. So uh, his father, Otis Norman Freeman, is the person who's going to get the How did everybody
0: dollars. lose this form? So, This is outrageous. Well,
1: this yeah, we're getting to that. Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> but the Prudential representative did tell him helpfully that if he could prove that he was a surviving spouse under Texas law he would take priority over Otis Freeman Okay, and uh, they weren't married but they could have married but they could have been common law married, but he'd have to prove it. And proving common law marriage, as we've seen in some recent cases, is difficult. Okay. You've gotta have documents. You've gotta have some kind of holding out as being married to the community, observing anniversaries, knowing the date of your anniversary. Having declared that you were married, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. Some of those things don't sound that hard. Yeah.
0: Well, all right. Well, so, but,
1: but if you don't have any documents about anything or witnesses, you know, it, it can be Facebook. Difficult. So, well, <laughs> well, what were these guys on Facebook? What 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 Ford decided to do, because evidently he was on good terms with his. Partner's father, so he goes to Otis and he says, "Look, <laughs> could you do me a favor? You collect <laughs> the money and, and sign everything. it over to me." Otis yeah. says, "Sure, sure, sure," but I don't think they got it in writing. So Otis gets the money, and what does oh, he do? No. He pays off his mortgage. <laughs> he doesn't turn over the money. So now Ford has to decide what to do,
0: And some time has gone by. <laughs> uh, I mean, I love my father-in-law, but if 700,000 yeah. dollars came my way, I? Don't yeah. Know. Well, so,
1: so what Ford did is he filed a lawsuit in a Texas state court against Otis Freeman for breach of contract.: <laughs> God Okay, a nightmare. Uh, but and in the course of this litigation, there were discovery requests made to uh, Prudential and B of A for any documents they had that were relevant here. And lo and behold, B and A found the beneficiary designation for Oh, no. Or at least Ford claims that B and A informed him, we have discovered that you are the 100% beneficiary. But the money was already paid out to Otis (laughs) Freeman. (laughs) So Ford amended his complaint in state court to add B of A and Prudential as co-defendants and to make a claim against them for breach of contract under the employee, under the insurance contract and everything. And they immediately removed it to federal court under ERISA okay. because ERISA preempts state laws to the extent that they relate to employee benefit plans. Okay. And so they claimed under ERISA, number one, All of his state law claims against them are preempted. Okay, this doesn't deal with the claim against Friedman. That's not preempted because that's a private contract. That's not an employee benefit. But uh, so they claim preemption and they claim failure to exhaust administrative remedies because under ERISA the plan is supposed to have an internal appeals procedure and you're supposed to exhaust your remedies before you go to court okay. so they said we can't be sued because he didn't exhaust his remedies and furthermore the claims that he's asserted against us uh, under state law are preempted alright so Boyle had to sort through all this It's somewhat complicated so she decided she's gonna do the analysis for each of these defendants separately uh, okay. because they present different issues and she comes to different conclusions. Okay. So as of B of A, that was the employer. Uh, and she said that uh, the claim against the employer is preempted by Arissa, but he could bring a claim under ERISA that they violated their fiduciary duty by losing, losing the form, the form. <laughs> and, and uh, you know not providing him with the benefit. Uh, so he can continue, if he amends his complaint, the, the judge dismisses the state law complaint against B of A, but he can file amended complaint within 30 days asserting an ERISA claim against them. Now, on the issue of exhaustion of administrative remedies, she says, under the terms of the plan, he was supposed to apply to Prudential. Okay. For the for the benefit, not to B of A. And so he didn't have to apply to B of A, so there's no reason to find that he didn't exhaust remedies and besides that there are exceptions, uh, and an exception probably applied here. Okay. To the exhaustion. But turning to Prudential, she said, Prudential's out of this case. The claim against them is preempted. And okay. furthermore, furthermore, Prudential did exactly what an insurance company is supposed to do. If the (laughs) beneficiary can't prove that they're the (laughs) designated beneficiary that's supposed to play out to the next in line. (laughs)
0: Okay, uh, this case is very complicated and it's funny, but at the end of the day, this is mostly about a case about losing a
1: form. Well, this is a case about losing $700,000. Right. So, so what happens now is uh, <laughs> Ford has 30 days, and he's represented by counsel, so I'm sure they'll be right on it. You okay. know, or, or They'll get an extension of time if they can't get right on it. So they will file uh, to maintain the action against B of a unless they don't want to. Okay. I mean, if they don't want to, they could just go ask that the case be sent back to state court and proceed against Freeman. Okay. Because that's not preempted by ERISA. But Freeman spent the money. You know, okay. he doesn't have $700,000. Oh. He has a paid-off mortgage and some other debts that he paid off. Uh, so I've got a feeling here that he's going to want to proceed against B a because under ERISA, if a fiduciary violates their fiduciary duty as a result of which... Uh, someone who's supposed to get a benefit doesn't get a benefit, the fiduciary can be on the hook for the benefit. Yeah. And I think B of A can afford to pay him $700,000. Yeah. So the, the, he's all.
0: not going to have to prove a common law marriage no, and any all. of this stuff. And you know, I, I But we did served. learn that Otis is kind of a scumbag. Well, yeah, Otis.
1: <laughs> he probably said, I'm not really his father-in-law. They weren't married. What a jerk. But it's, it's. I wonder if Mr. Judge, Otis will regret it. <laughs> I don't know, because, you know, we'll be, we'll be we'll a Vago after him for the $700,000, you know. <laughs> I'm
0: going to play Miss Otis regrets in the background. Um, okay. So okay.
1: That's, that's our third. So year.
0: that brings it to a close. We're going to do our of note segment without taking a break.
1: Our, what's our of note segment? Our of note segment, we're finally going to talk about international law here. Oh, our no. of note segment is that on May 24th, the Republic of China in Taiwan became mm-hmm. the first government in Asia to have same-sex marriage. That's amazing. Which is exciting. So I mean, great. It's just a little island. And okay. the, Re- the People's Republic of China claims that they're actually part of them, but they're not. But they are. But Uh, they're autonomous and independent because the U.S. won't allow the People's Republic of China to invade Taiwan. We've got mutual defense treaties and stuff going on. But the point is (laughs) it is a democratic republic now. Okay. And two years ago, their highest court said that under their constitution, it was a violation of equality not to allow same sex couples to marry. And they gave the legislature two years Mm -hmm. uh, to do something about it. And the legislature waited till the 11th hour, and one week before the deadline of May 24th, they had three bills pending one proposed by the government, two proposed by people who didn't like same sex marriage. And the government proposed the one that talked about marriage. Mm-hmm. And the others talked about partnerships, civil partnerships, things like that. And the. Sounds like New Jersey. An argument was made that if they didn't make it marriage, the plaintiffs would go right back to the court and get a ruling that it wasn't satisfactory yeah. because the court had said that if the legislature didn't do anything about this their interpretation of the marriage law would take effect on May 24 and it would become available without any enabling statute. Mm. Sort of like Brexit without a deal you know? <laughs> So, to, to put it in contemporary uh, context. So Taiwan and over 500 people registered their marriage in the first weekend. Wow. Really exciting. Control. the right. you know, <laughs> Art could go on and on. It could go on. Um, but it's it's a big deal, and we should note it. Uh, that's because, fantastic. Because, uh, you know, we already have same-sex marriage in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So we have one country in Africa, and we already have marriage in, in Europe, mm-hmm. and we have same-sex marriage in South America. So this was the last major continent to get a foothold for marriage equality. Yeah. And uh, this is an event that postdates the June issue of Low Notes, but I just read that a marriage equality bill has been uh, introduced in the legislature in Japan. So oh, great. we'll see what happens. All
0: right, that's exciting. Well, I wanted to bring up that uh, I saw the an opera last night called As One. Um, it's uh, with a baritone and a mezzo a soprano who uh, both play uh, transgender uh, person who transitions over the course of the opera and it's funny it's poignant it's heartbreaking it's really just a beautiful contemporary work and um i really recommend folks go see it art you're going to go see it on the sixth there's yeah. only one more performance of it so if you're listening to this right now rush out and get your tickets yes. Um, if not, uh, do go see Stonewall the Opera, which we're both going to go uh, see. The New York City Opera commissioned a special opera for 50th anniversary of Stonewall. That's right. Um, so this is also, as That's, one is also New York City Opera production. And if you're available on June 11th, come to Prospect for the Legal uh, Pride celebration, where we'll be featuring performers from the Stonewall Opera. So you can get a little bit of taste, a little bit of a taste of what you're going to see. And if you're a Legal you get 20% off your tickets. So make sure your membership is up to date. (laughs) Um, Yeah, lots of Pride events. Do you have anything on your list? Well, we have the CLE that we're doing. It's a a really jam-packed season, and the CLE that Art mentioned uh, is on June 20th. It's a lunchtime CLE, and we'll be talking about Title VII and the Supreme Court cases. So if you can't get your fill and you want to get those CLE credits... And and
1: one more thing to talk about. (laughs) Uh, This is a pride event. Last night, I attended an opera at Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn in their catacombs. And uh, I learned, speaking with someone from the uh, cemetery, that they have a pride celebration, too. Oh, wow. Because there are lots of famous gay people buried in Greenwood <laughs> Cemetery, so they do a pride tour wow. each year in June. Okay. It's on June 16th. It's, Who are some of the famous Day. gays? Uh, well, Leonard Bernstein. Is ah, is buried gay. there, yeah. uh, Jean-Paul Basquiat, the artist? Oh wow! Uh, a a lesbian who was the sculptor of the Statue of Liberty or something like that. Uh, yeah. Or no, the Bethesda Fountain. Uh, uh, <laughs> I remember. Was, yes, right. a yeah, uh, lesbian sculptor. No the kidding. The Bethesda Fountain in Central Park. Yeah, she's the one from
0: uh, Angels in America. She's buried there.
1: Well, well, Greenwood Cemetery is full of you know famous uh, people like Boss Tweed, <laughs> and and there are several. <laughs> I don't know. Big elaborate mausoleums which hold yeah. the remains of mafioso chieftains. No kidding. You know, from Brooklyn. So, all right. uh, so, so tell us about so, the Pride so Tour? The tour, the Pride Tour is June sixteenth at three thirty. You register online on the Greenwood Cemetery website. They have loads of events all year. To-
0: Why don't we do an LGBT cultural events podcast,
1: you and I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening. We'll be back with uh, the next installment of our Law Notes LGBT podcast. We're for doing July. for July. We'll yes. do one in July. We're all right. Great. Thanks for listening. See you soon.